Welcome to Much to Discuss, a weekly conversation between the extraordinary Kelly O'Shea and me, Steph Swan, tackling culture, content, news, and topics we're absorbing this week. And I figure we should actually start saying the date. So it's a bit confusing because it's probably different dates for us. Well, it's somewhere between November the 15th and 17th when you'll be listening to this. Upon the record, it's the 16th in Australia. So really that was meant to be a guide to help. It's probably confused. Help or hurt, I don't know. But maybe we should start saying that in our episode preambles. What do you think, Kel? It does irk me sometimes that we have such little daylight that we share, you know? I know. This is why you just have to move to Australia. Sure. <laughs> Honestly, the amount of dreams <laughs> and thoughts, <laughs> thoughts I've had where I've been like, hmm, how would that work for me? Like I've really gone, I've gone through some serious thought exercises about what my life would look like, how I would get home to see family, home being America. Yeah, just a plane. They're releasing like long haul direct flights. So it's just like one long flight. The thing I was thinking about the other night when I couldn't sleep, <laughs> obviously, was what would my tax implications be if I spent, let's say, nine months out of the year in Australia and three months out of the year in the US? Yeah, you would need to speak to a tax lawyer about that. But yes, it's it be bad. People do it. No, it's not that it's bad. You just have to pay smarter people than us to handle that properly because Australia and America have reciprocity in tax law, which means you shouldn't get double taxed on, say, income. Yeah. For that reason, if you're listening and you like the podcast, you have any friends that are billionaires that would like to support me and stuff, keep sharing <laughs> with your friends. Let us monetize this so that I am financially able to record in the same location as Steph. That would be great. That's a very important thing to say in the intro. Give us your money. <laughs> if we haven't caught you yet, just <laughs> you wait. We're only on episode eight and we've now started the begging. So, hey, it took longer than I thought it would, to be honest. <laughs> You know what? Actually, this week I have been, when somebody told me that they listened to the podcast and that they liked it, I have said, you know what? She would be upset with me if I didn't ask, do you have any feedback for us? Oh, yeah. what have we heard? Well, as you know, because we were texting about it, I got a lot of negative feedback about asking why pa Patrick Dempsey was selected as People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. Apparently, a lot of people are very pro-Patrick, which... There you go. I get it, I guess. I also made a comment about that same person. I may have referred to him as old, and I think my auntie and I are going to throw down at Christmas around what old means. So <laughs> to clarify, I think I'm old at 30. My barometer is maybe different. I think unless you're in high school, we're old, and that's where I land on that. I could have apologized and taken it back, but apparently I'm doubling down. I'm not taking back my stance. I don't think that he's culturally relevant. I still don't understand why he was picked. <laughs> and I guess the same feedback's coming back our way for next week. <laughs> Wait, Kelly, before I ask you about your weekend, I did see a TikTok that made me think of you immediately. And I would like to play it for you. Please. Apologies for our listeners if this audio isn't. Here we go. How long, if you were suspended in space, if you got disconnected from a spaceship, right? You still had your helmet on. How long would you keep it on before you take it off? Would I be tethered to the mothership? No, your tether to the mothership has been disconnected. Well, I would take it off immediately. Me too. What do you think that says about us as a family unit? We're just 
I understand why that makes you think of me. Why is that? Because I would do the exact same thing. It would come off immediately. You're not going to live out there. There's no way you make it back to the ship. My thought then is, I don't even know if you would have gotten on the spaceship to begin with, but let's say you did. You're just ending it. You're not even holding out hope that they're coming back for you. You're just helmet straight off the head. I mean, I've seen space. <laughs> I've seen space movies. I don't know if the anxiety of waiting for my oxygen to run out would be worth it. At that point, I'm You'd probably burn it. the oxygen a lot faster. Well, what no, would you do? Is, what would I do? Yeah. Start swimming in space to where this shuttle went to. And I would wait. Like, I would just wait until, I don't know, I guess there's an oxygen tank strapped to you. I would hope that I had some kind of instruments to be like, alert, SOS, I'm floating in space. I would always travel with a partner too, I feel like. If they were like, Steph, can you go out and fix this thing on the externality of this spaceship? I'd be like, not without someone else and not without a trucker <laughs> and 10 ties to my my suit. That's fair. I don't think anybody's sending me to space anytime soon. I think for many reasons, and I think our listeners will get a few of those reasons. Probably your earlier comments about space. <laughs> People may not think you're deserving of going to space, given your lack of interest and respect for it I suppose <laughs> I did make me think about when we talked when I was in my walking dead phase which probably will never end because I think the new series is about to relaunch so strap yourselves in but when I was thinking about like if something went down where's our meaning spot like how do we survive what things are we grabbing and we resolved that I would collect you and you yes. would just be a dependent what's the updated plan because I'm now in Australia, so I'm not collecting you. There is no updated plan. I'm <laughs> My plans have not changed. I have not become more self-sufficient since I, your departure. So your plan is still, I'm going to come and collect you. And if you don't, I guess that's the end. How yeah. beautiful. Well, anyway, that's a TikTok I've seen this week that most made me think of you. So I figured I would share. I love that. How is the rest when, of your week going? It's been good. I mean, where living a low-key existence that being said so the other morning our puppy is still really little and he we're crate training him so we have to like get him up quite early it's still dark out so I get up I look at my phone and my brother who is also staying at this house has texted me and he said oh I think there's a stolen vehicle out the front of the house you should call the police when you wake up so I am in my nighty like halfway down the stairs with Ernie in one hand, my phone in the other. And I was like, what if the criminals are still here? And in my head, I was like, this is the moment I've been training for my whole life. So I call the police. I report this vehicle. They're like, okay, are there people in it? What's the model? Like I haven't gotten any of the information. So now I've got Ernie under one arm. I'm on the phone with bare feet and in a nighty, standing close to this vehicle that is parked halfway across our driveway with the window smashed in. Thank goodness there was no one in it because I don't know what the plan would have been had there been anyone inside. And yeah, it was a bit of an adrenaline rush. And I went back inside, I locked my door and then proceeded to tell my mother and she said, do you have a photo? And I was like, didn't take a single photo. Didn't, <laughs> didn't take any evidence. Three hours later, I was like, I better go take photos so people believe me and the car was gone. So I don't know if it was the police. I don't know if the criminals returned. TBD. So the police don't like call you back and give you an update or anything? Nope. It's a mystery. That's honestly devastating that you won't get an answer. Yeah, I know. So Ernie and I had a really exciting whatever morning that was. Yeah. And then Seb got up and I was like, 
I've called the police this morning. And he, <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> everything okay? And I was like, don't know. A criminal was here last night. I don't know. <laughs> Ernie's first crime. Yeah, it was him. <laughs> He's, like, I've got a He's like, my parents aren't working. Must provide. He's oh my God, that's so coffee. good. That's so good. So yeah, but other than that, life's pretty good. Just chilling. What's going on with you? Lots is going on with me. I feel like my social calendar has been packed to the brim. I've had at least two birthdays a weekend for the past four weeks. All that Christmas loving coming around today. <laughs> it's been overwhelming. And then you add in the Friendsgivings and... Oh yeah, Thanksgiving in the US is next week. Yeah, it's been pure chaos and my schedule's really been booking out at least a week in advance. It's mostly been really fun and very good, but I also had noticed, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, because of my schedule going on dates and scheduling dates, I require them to book me out at least like three to four days in advance. And if it's same day, not going to happen. Two days in advance, not going to happen. And so I unfortunately had to demote someone from my roster this past week. Oh. Yeah. Scandal. Yeah. Do I know who it is? You do. Yeah. Oh, damn. It was a bummer, but it was a mature bummer. And I enlisted staff's help because I don't know what to do in these situations. Like, I would just keep conversation going for forever. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, I'm not getting my needs met or articulating them, but we'll just keep on hoping. And, like, I think it's a very normal and shared frustration, definitely among my friends and among other women. Women are just typically better planners. And so I was sharing that with staff and I was like, I am just really frustrated. I just would like to get some things on the calendar or move along. Well, because this person (laughs) kept being like, you round in a few hours, you round tonight. What about tomorrow? Which in New York works for some people. Totally. As you're outlining, not for you. Totally. And Steph was like, well, why don't you just say my schedule's really busy. If we want to get some stuff on the books, that'd be great. If things are too busy right now, let's call it what it is and good luck yeah. on both of our paths. And so I did that and I sent the text. Proud and of you. Look at you being direct. Thank you. I thought that you would be proud of me. My therapist was also proud of me. <laughs> Shout out, Amy. That's <laughs> on the back all around. But, you know, we had a quick convo over text and it was, it's just too busy right now on his end to prioritize time with me. And I was like, cool. Now I have the answer. And it honestly yeah. was like, I was expecting that I would be, oh, maybe we can still make it work. And instead of that, I think I was just like, wow, this is kind of nice that I have an answer. Yeah. Like, I'm just so happy I don't have to play cat and mouse for the next like months. I've known these situations where it will literally keep going until one of the two get in a different serious relationship, sometimes yeah. with each other. But so I'm very proud of you. I feel like, and we've had this conversation before, those kind of things take up a lot more mental space than you ever realize until you've kind of put them down. And it's not that you're planning your future or anything to that end. It's just like, because there is that person there, you're kind of less motivated to meet other different people. Yeah. I don't know. It's really weird. I imagine what you're feeling is kind of like relief that you kind of just get an answer. It's clear and you can focus your attention elsewhere. I don't know. Is that a fair summation? Completely. There's always a frustration with, there are so few people that you really click with, or in my case, that's true. So there's definitely a big element where I'm like, oh, that's such a bummer, but more so I'm happy that we had the conversation really early on. And it was just not the right time because I would have hated to be frustrated with somebody that I felt like I had a connection with, at least if it was something that looped back around or I can like move on and focus on 
something else, I, it's just not going to take up excess yeah. annoyed space in my head. There's no ill feelings that like ends no. on a positive note and who knows what the future holds type yeah. things. Love that we're yeah. doing like a little dating advice segment here. Yeah, I thought you would enjoy it. I love direct talk in dating. It's the really life changing to take the power back. I will, based on my one, my one experience. <laughs> one time. <laughs> expert experience this all one time i've done it the boundaries is a new one and i'm loving it yeah it's a good so chapter for me bottle this feeling up and remember it for the next time i know it's good so well everybody i feel like this is probably feeling more and more like you just bear witness to our long distance facetimes which is partly the point and as a refresher because we haven't talked about it in a minute the reason we started this podcast is because it feels like there's just so much complexity in the world right now a lot of questions concerns things to roll around in our heads but there's also lightness and content and fun this isn't an original format to a podcast there have been many people that have done this before incredibly well that we wish would come back on the air but in lieu of that we're here <laughs> in lieu of that hi <laughs> now that is a sell that is kind of what we're doing here and I feel like we haven't said that for a minute so throwing that out there before we move into what is our first segment as always pop culture and this is where Kelly you've got a finger on the pulse I never have sometimes I'm aware of things though so yeah. let's see how much I know about what you have to me today what's going on in pop culture my first pop culture story for you today I'm sure you have heard because if you haven't I don't know if you're paying attention to the things that matter to me. So it's about Taylor Swift. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm going to say? Because of our friendship, my algorithm has far more Taylor Swift content than I would have ever imagined. And I do happen to know she changed a lyric in a song and made it about Travis Kelsey. Is this what you're about to tell me more about? It is. Taylor Swift had a massive show of PDA at her concert in Argentina, which Travis Kelsey attended with her dad. During the show, she changed the lyrics in her song Karma from Karma is the guy on the screen, which indicated her ex-boyfriend Joe Alwyn, to Karma is the guy on the Chiefs. Oh, I didn't know the line before it was her ex. Nobody's actually acknowledging the lyric that was changed, but it's salty. Wow. I thought it was just a vague lyric. Like, no. I didn't realize it was actually about her ex. Yeah. Who is a big, great actor, really, if we're being honest. Big deal. So yeah. we don't think it's a publicized relationship anymore. You're still um, shooting it. She also ran off the stage after the concert ended and ran into Travis's arms and they, like, had a kiss. It feels very off-brand. It, it is extremely off-brand. She never gives us anything with her relationships. We never see her kiss or show PDA or anything. Yeah. And in this one, she's like hanging out of the box at his game. The fan base is so excited and happy. Nobody is digging into it, it doesn't seem, from the commentary. And people are yeah. really happy that they're being brought along for the ride. What I was thinking, because I know you think it's PR, and I'm kind of in that boat, I'm half convinced. But do you think that there's any chance it's just that Travis is like so much more okay with being in the limelight than Joe was? Potentially. Here's the thing. I just think when it comes to celebrities, nothing is by accident. Yeah. But maybe this is the era of her life where she just gets to do what she wants. I mean, she's earned I it. Hope so. she, 
is she the smartest businesswoman alive? Very possibly. So there's so many things going on. I don't know. But hey, cute. And the thing I also saw, again, because of the way you've changed my algorithm, <laughs> is that Travis Kelsey's parents reposted a meme. Have you yeah. seen this? No, you haven't. I'm shook that I've seen this and you haven't. So it was originally created by Words to the Wise podcast, and it shows Jason and Travis in their college football uniforms. And over the photo, the text reads, one of these guys is a finalist for the sexiest man alive and the other is dating Taylor Swift. There's still hope for you. And it's so funny because they do look so awkward and unattractive in the photo. <laughs> but the best part is their dad posted it and then their mum reposted their dad posting it. Oh my God, so I love when parents troll their kids has lost their damn mind about it. And it is, I think, a good message and one you live by, Kelly, which is have wild, crazy dreams because there's still hope. My next story for you is that Kim Kardashian was on the cover of GQ as one of GQ's men of the year. Her multi-billion dollar company, Skims, is rolling out menswear and also has recently announced a partnership with the NBA. The cover shot shows Kardashian in a suit eating a bag of Cheetos, which is your door. <laughs> Life. I wish there was salt and vinegar chips, but I'll settle for Cheetos. So they put King Kardashian as the businessman of the year. Is that what you it's said? It's one of one of the men of the year, GQ's men of the year, and she was also okay. named their tycoon of the year. I mean, listen, she can hustle between her and Chris. I know. I know how to make money. It's crazy. The article talked a lot about her dad and him as a lawyer, his trial with OJ Simpson, which fascinating. Put them on the map, right? Because they were kind of... That was one of the big ones. And it's really interesting. The article talked a lot about Kim's connection to psychics. Excuse me? Yeah. The meat of the article is really about how much she's a hustler, how smart she is, kind of under the radar. She's still studying to become a lawyer. She studies for like two hours a day. Her tutors are like, she's wicked smart. But then there are a couple parts that I just, it opens up with her dad having gone to a psychic in like the midst of the OJ Simpson trial. The psychic told him that their family would be a name that would be known or something along those lines. And apparently Kim Kardashian is really into psychic mediums to this day. So interesting article, good for Kim. I thought that she was the first GQ man of the year, but then I found out that Jennifer Aniston was the first GQ man of the year, oh, and then cool. Rihanna's been named. So they do this every year, but I kind of love it. Yeah, good for them. And then my third piece of pop culture for you is that Grammy nominations came out. SZA is the leading nominee with nine nominations, Phoebe wow. Bridges with seven, Barbie got four nominations, and Taylor Swift was nominated. Of course she was. Yes. Wow. That's very exciting. exciting. I wrote two things that I thought would be interesting, one for me and one for you. The one that's for me is Taylor Swift is currently tied with Frank Sinatra, Stevie Wonder, and Paul Simon, with each of the three having three album wins. That's crazy company to keep. Yeah. At that level. And for you, there are two Aussies that are nominated for Pop Dance. Woo! Who? As though you will know, but Troy Sivan. Oh, I know Troy Sivan. He's everywhere. You know him you from Yeah, of course I know him from he Wasn't he an OG, like, YouTuber? Yes! Yeah, I think he was. The um, reason he's also popping off right now is that Timothy Chalamet just hosted SNL and did a huge skit as Troy Sivan, and then Troy Sivan made Timothy Chalamet his display picture on Instagram. Yeah. And I watched the whole thing, and it's hilarious. It is amazing. I watched that sketch and was 
cackling at the accuracy of Timothy Chalamet's movements. The, the SNL sketches have been good of late. It's been really good. It's been strong. Oh, wait. And who is the other Australian who was nominated? Uh, I don't know this one. Kylie Minogue? Minogue. Minogue. She is like the Dolly Parton of Australia. No way. Wait. Kylie Minogue is like one of the biggest deals in Australia. She was a singer-songwriter, actress. She, when I was growing up, she was like our highest selling female Australian artist. Wow. She's, she's 55, so she's not. Oh, I don't know why. I think just because of the name Kylie and my association with Kylie Jenner, I assumed that she was like 20. It's funny you say that. I'm pretty sure Kylie Minogue sued Kylie Jenner. Kylie Jenner copyrighted Kylie, the name. Kylie Minogue was like, no, no, no. You're two years old. Go fuck yourself. Obviously, that is not the accurate legal retelling of the events. <laughs> but I am feeling, let me see. I'm going to Google it. Kylie Minogue blocked Kylie Jenner from trademarking the name Kylie. Good on her. Now she's nominated for a Grammy. She is queen. And I can't wait for all the Aussies to be like, Kelly, Kelly, Kelly. <laughs> I'm going to get torn apart for saying Minogue, <laughs> which might be fair. I should have checked ahead of time, but I pulled out the Australians because I knew that that would be information that would be of interest to you because I'm a good Thank friend. You. You're a great friend. Thanks. Thanks for saying that. Well, that was fun. Do you want yeah. anything else before we close out pop culture? No, you really beat me to the punch with SNL being good because all I was going to say is that the SAG-AFTRA strike is over. And oh, so yes. we're going to start seeing now a lot of actors self-promoting their work. So Timothy Chalamet was on SNL promoting Wonka and he crushed oh, it. Oh, that's why he was on. I didn't know why he was there. I was just like, this is a funny skit. <laughs> Him and Kylie Jenner got cozy at the after party because they're still dating. Ugh, such a man. I feel like that's a flop for him. But anyway. You think for, I don't know. They look very in love. There was a TikTok of them where they were like all over each other and crazy. I love that you're still back on this. Like they seem legit and in love. Yeah. <laughs> all the conversations we have. It does not matter how, how much anyone tells me of reality. I choose to believe that every celebrity that is dating is dating because they're in love. That's great. I love and that's that. On, and that's on optimism. Yeah, that's on <laughs> illusion. I've killed your brain cells. We'll move on to news. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephanie, getting yes, serious. <laughs> what are you going to teach me about this week? Today will be pretty tech platform heavy news updates. And so the first topic I'm going to delve into is the Google antitrust case happening as we speak. The legal case is US et al. I think it's et al is how it's pronounced versus Google. So this week, the tech giant Google is wrapping up its arguments in the federal monopoly trial. Some of you may be aware that the Department of Justice has been pursuing a case in the federal court against Google. And this is considered a landmark antitrust case. And it's taking place in the US. However, the global impact of the result of this case is indisputable. So before we really dive in, I'm curious, Cal, in your mind, what does antitrust mean, if anything at all? Um, I think in the context of the title, I would probably guess that the business is operating in a way that the government or consumers wouldn't benefit from so like very selfishly or something 
Good job. We need to put you on a pop quiz, I swear. Conferring with Google. It's officially defined as a group of laws established to regulate business practices in order to ensure fair competition occurs in an open market economy for the benefit of consumers. So you're right. How did this all start? Feel like we need to take you on a bit of a journey. The Justice Department has spent three years over two presidential administrations building this case against Google. And they are saying Google illegally abused its power over online search to throttle competition. In October of 2020, the government sued Google for abusing its dominance in this online search market. So really, the fundamental question of all of this is, did today's tech giants become dominant by breaking the law? That's really what this case is trying to establish. And so this case is one of the federal government's first monopoly trial of the modern internet era in a generation of tech companies that have come to wield immense influence over everything from commerce, information, public discourse, entertainment, labor. This is huge. And it is really a battle against those companies. Antitrust was typically around challenging like mergers and acquisitions and like big transactions that took place in the market. Now they're looking at the core business functions that thrust these big new age, new era companies into the positions of power they're in. Because it wasn't like Google became Google through acquisitions and mergers. They mm -hmm. found a product and effectively became a monopoly, or that's the argument that thrusts them into this power. Yeah. My question for you here is, Cal, what is your awareness of this case and the arguments from either side? It's fairly low. I feel like Google is always in some sort of case. So I feel like I don't really get what would happen if Google loses the case. Right. That is a big question. What might reform look like if the DOJ are successful in their lawsuit? The government has said that it wants Google to change its monopolistic business practices, potentially pay damages and restructure itself. It's unclear, right, exactly what this is going to look like. It's been reported that if Google loses, it faces the possibility of being broken up into small companies, an extreme but not unheard of measure that the DOJ is asking for, or that they are forbidden for offering search agreements. Now, what does the search agreements mean? This is a big component of the fundamental arguments of the DOJ that Google has acted in monopolistic behavior. So the Justice Department and a group of state attorneys, generals, claim that Google illegally maintained a search and advertising monopoly. And they did this by paying Apple and other tech platforms to make itself the default search engine on the iPhone and other devices, thereby keeping rivals from competing and stopping Apple from potentially developing its own search product. Hmm. That is really a big cornerstone of the DOJ's arguments. Their argument in the trial is that Google's actions have harmed competition and denied benefits to customers. And if the government is able to prove the harm exists, it is then up to Google to prove that these harms are outweighed by the benefits to competition provided by its action. And Google have been arguing their rebuttals and they've kind of broken it up into five key areas. Mm -hmm. Their rebuttals include, and this was outlined in a really good article in the New York Times, Vox have done reporting. I mean, there's a lot of sources. Google have just said, number one, their actions are justified. They're saying it paid Apple an appropriate and undisclosed amount of money. Google's chief executive said there was value in being the default search engine on a device and framed these agreements with other companies as sound business decisions. So they're effectively saying 
it's value creation for us. We approach these companies and we entered into an agreement. It's part of doing business. That's yeah. right on it, right? Am I crazy? That sounds right to me. I mean, I think in a capitalist society, this is where it gets really hard to discern what is fair competition versus not. And I think that's yeah. really essentially what is being argued here. But Kelly, I want you to take a stab at what you think Google paid to be the default selection on mobile and desktop browsers in 2021. No, this is not just Apple. This is just what do you think they paid to be default? I, unfortunately, I'm not a numbers person or a sizing person. And so I'm just going to guess something random. $20 billion. $26.3 billion. I I cannot believe how close I was. <laughs> <laughs> like when I tell you, I would have, I was between guessing $2 million or $20 billion. <laughs> There was no reasoning behind that. I feel like you should edit out the part where you said you were going to say $2 million just so you seem. I don't want people to think that. <laughs> I don't want people to think it's because I'm smart. Well, and I would argue $6.3 billion extra dollars is quite a significant number, but yes. Yeah, no, that's so true. That's life-changing. Much closer than $2 million. So Whoa. that is a lot of money and that is according to evidence presented at trial most of it around 18 billion went to apple so i'll just leave that fact there to lament on is that appropriate yeah like when you put it that way probably maybe it's a little different right yeah the other argument from google is they're not the only search game in town they talked about other rivals the google's lawyers have also made the point that the search market is only part of the story because the company competes broadly with more players including tiktok amazon you name it where consumers will look for information online so way beyond search yeah is one of their arguments the third thing is google are arguing that they help people and foster competition they point to that their investments really stoked innovation in that area and brought about benefits. They talked about their R&D investments, the staff on hand. They then talked about their innovations have helped customers around the world. Google said it has set the pace for tech advancements. What's interesting on this one is during cross-examination, the Justice Department lawyers sought to underscore that Google could have brought more innovation to users, but did not, so it could safeguard its monopoly. They pointed to a 2019 Google proposal to create an incognito search engine, which would not have stored any data on users, but could have lost the company billions in revenue, so Google decided not to build the browser. This is not a straightforward case. And finally, the fifth one that Google is arguing is that its actions have been competitive on balance, not anti-competitive. So to that end, Google have focused in the trial on when it first introduced its search engines and the other products and how it's entry increased market competition and they're really looking back at when Google first rolled this out in 1998 and said that the search market was ruled by Yahoo, AltaVista and Ask Jeeves if you can remember any uh, of them. I do remember Jeeves. I miss him every day. I don't know that I ever used that one. What? Yeah. The case is still <laughs> ongoing. It's really complicated. But essentially, this is a really important case because it sets a standard in a new age. There is a professor at the Vanderbilt University Law School who's been interviewed in relation to this case. And her belief is that 
this Google trial will really test whether antitrust laws written in 1890 to break up sugar, steel and railroad monopolies can still work in today's economy. So that was Rebecca Allensworth's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting. We've talked a bit about how laws in place sometimes don't accommodate how we've evolved and transformed in society. And Mm -hmm. I think this case is going to be demonstrative of whether it can be applicable in the new world economy and in the new era of business. What are your closing thoughts on this one, Cal? When do we get an answer? When is it supposed to be over? The judge is going to rule in the new year. Wow. That's crazy. I'm so interested in what happens and I have so long to find out. It's like 2024. This sucks. I know. You are probably the most interested and impacted of anyone in the world. Yeah. You're like, I can't wait. Imagine how the Google CEOs (laughs) feel and like, the shareholders and board, <laughs> you're like, that. I need to know. I have to give updates to my podcast audience. <laughs> I know. We're like, we need this tea. Maybe I'll it's email the judge. <laughs> we get the case thrown out. Huh? You could, you could try it. Um, <laughs> Maybe I should just call Taylor up. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly interested to see where this lands. It's going to set a precedent either way for a lot of the big monopolistic feeling companies out yeah. there that are our new age kind of tech companies and there are many of them so we'll wait and see so this is staying on tech and i want you to respond to this first sentence so i'm going to be talking to you about what is posited at being the device after the smartphone oh. your eyes just bulged in your head and you said yuck <laughs> Oh, I just, I actually was talking to my therapist about this. I identify things about myself that I would like to do differently very consistently. I'm just like, I just am on my phone so much and I want to be off it more as all of us do. It's a generational issue, but I just feel like all of these companies are working to make technology more and more present in our lives and in ways that we don't even notice and in ways that like totally embed themselves into our entire being. And so I would hope that somebody's taking the approach of doing it in a way that makes us live more freely in our lives and like maybe text in the background and empowers us or whatever. I know there are good things about it, but I think that's just my source of sighing and frustration is like, I'm already addicted to my phone. I don't need a new device that I'm going to be even more addicted to. So it's funny. I'm sitting here smirking because I feel like the founders of this company would have loved you saying all of this for them to then talk about their company. So the company is called Humane. It was started by two former Apple employees and they say it's the new artificial intelligence pin that can stop all the scrolling. Hmm. Going onto their website and having a little gander, they have their mission statement clearly spelled out. It goes as follows. We believe in building innovative technology that feels familiar, natural and human. Technology that improves the human experience and is born from good intentions. Products that put us back in touch with ourselves, each other, and the world around us. Experiences that are built on trust with interactions that feel magical and bring joy. Humane was founded on the principle that we all deserve more from technology. There's just a picture of me as their customer. (laughs) So I was going to ask you your thoughts on that mission statement, but it feels like you might be aligned. If that's true, if that's genuinely, truly their approach, I'm their number one customer. So you may be wondering what this is. 
it's an artificial intelligence pin that you wear on your person. And it can be controlled by speaking aloud, tapping a touchpad, or projecting a laser display onto the palm of the hand. In an what? instant, the device's virtual assistant can send a text message, play a song, snap a photo, make a call, or translate a real-time conversation into another language. The system relies on AI to help answer questions like what's the best way to load the dishwasher and can summarize incoming message with simple command, catch me up. As the New York Times article put it that I read about this, their mission, no less than liberating the world from its smartphone addiction, the solution, more technology. So I think we're all right to obviously have a level of skepticism, but the genesis of this seems to be getting people away from screens. Hmm. So the technology is said to be a step forward from your Suri, your Alexa, your Google Assistant, seems to be a very futuristic Mm -hmm. thing, like almost something that you'd see in, I don't know, the New York Times article mentioned Star Trek, like it's like the badges worn in Star Trek. I'm not a Star Trek person, so don't know. To tech insiders, it's a moonshot. And it seems to outsiders, it does seem like a sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. from a startup perspective, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And it's got a new operating system called Cosmos and users will have to be open to getting a new phone number for this device because it comes with its own wireless plan. You'll need to dictate rather than type text. You'll need to train a camera that zooms for a wide angle photo. Like there's going to be changes and it's just whether consumers are ready for these sort of changes. Do you remember the name Sam Altman? Yes. Open AI guy. Yeah. Yeah. He invested in this technology and he thinks it's going to be a huge part of how we interact with computers. We will link it out. I think you've got to see it to like fully understand it. What were your thoughts when you even looking at the pictures or videos? My thoughts are with any big transformational change that comes like in our landscape, dating way back to like the agriculture revolution, mm-hmm. to the industrial revolution, to what we thought was the technology revolution. Now we have that on steroids. I guess we're calling it the AI revolution. It's important to always embrace the change and make it work for you. I feel that in shutting off from that, you may get left behind. And I do think we need a lot of transformational change in society, just in our look at the inequality in the world we have, look at, there's like food scarcity issues, even in Australia at the moment with the raising mm-hmm. cost of living, like there's a lot of things happening. The only thing we're in control of is like how we respond to these changes. And this could be a tool we can harness to make our lives easier, have less friction, reduce some of our dependencies on these screens we spend a scary number of hours looking at. Yeah. So I would say that I'm open to it. Mm-hmm. I do think there's going to have to be a wholesale change. To me, it feels like at least in the immediate term, you would need both things, which mm-hmm. is annoying, right? Because if you think about when I used to work at some of the firms I needed, I needed an app on my phone that sent me like a QR code so I could get into my email every day. Like there are things that even if you want to unplug, you actually can't because it's so integrated into society. So I don't know yet the solutions for kind of helping you completely transition away from a phone and using this AI pin exclusively. It kind of feels like you'd need both. And I'm trying to be better about being more informed about what's coming in the future because I think these things are just going to come faster and harder. But it's interesting. You can actually order these in America and they start at 699 
my question is, will you consider getting one? No, not at six, not six ninety nine right now. I'm not an early tech adopter where I would need to have it at this moment. I'll be like in the second wave or the third. That's fair. That's fair. But eventually I would love to, would love to spend less time on my phone. That's what I have for you on news today. So we'll link out to all those relevant things. And if anyone listening does sign up to get an AI pin, tell us. We want to hear about that experience. Well done, you. Thanks, guys. Well, Steph, I think this is the part of the episode where we transition over into some of what we're consuming from podcasts, TV shows, articles, content in general. Yep. I hear you have some recommendations for me today. Yeah. I mean, I think I can lean in on the content sections with not having a full-time job at all. So I do have a few for you. I'm excited. So my first one is a series on Netflix. It's called Safe. Have you heard of this one? No. So it stars Michael Hall, which by name, I wouldn't have known who that is, obviously. Do you know who that is? No. Did you ever watch Dexter? Of course not. But I know that you had about a murderer. Okay. This is a side recommendation. Dexter is flawless as a series. I won't watch it. Don't listen to anything Kelly says (laughs) on this. It's incredible. The lead who plays Dexter is the lead in this series, Safe. It is a mini series. It's eight episodes. Mm. It's cliffhanger, suspense, whodunit, missing person tied in. The protagonist, Tom, his teenage daughter goes missing. He's a widowed surgeon in an affluent neighborhood and he begins unearthing dark secrets about the people closest to him. Do I have you on the board? You do have me hooked. It seems like Taken. No. Yeah, it's got vibes of Taken with a whodunit mix mm. and it is binge-worthy. It has twists, turns, suspense, betrayal, multiple storylines. I love it. And the beautiful part is by the end of the eighth episode, it comes to a conclusion. Uh. It's not one of those ones that like leaves you with more and more cliffhangers, which like sometimes does my head in. It has a nice little bow on the end. The acting from the entire cast is great. And I would say binge it and let me know how you feel. Love. So excited. I'm going home for Thanksgiving on Friday. And that is so up my dad's alley. There you go. That the two of us will be watching for sure. You'll have to let me know episode by episode. Done. The next is also on Netflix and it's a documentary and it's called The Art of Incarceration. It's directed by Alex Siddons, who actually went to my school. And so I checked with Kelly, this is not just available on the Australian Netflix, it's also available on the US Netflix. So it is a documentary that you see through the eyes of Indigenous prisoners in Victoria's Fulham Correctional Centre and the art of incarceration explores how art and culture can empower First Nations people to transcend the unjust cycles of imprisonment. This narrative documentary both analyzes and humanizes the overrepresentation of Indigenous Australians within our prison system whilst seeking some answers and striving towards solutions. So it's really powerful. My takeaways are first and foremost, Australia has such a long way to go to improve the outcomes of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples. They account for 3% of our population and 27% of the prison population and 98% of youth are behind bars. And they are appalling statistics. That is kind of full stop. Yeah. 
as a country, we need to do so much better. Beyond that, some of the other takeaways from watching it are people just want to connect. And this art program makes them feel like they are a part of a team. And it really shows that art is therapy. And it's just really beautiful, the role that that can play in people's lives. Mm. And another part of watching this made me remember that one of the protagonists was talking throughout the documentary and a line he said stayed with me, which is that he said, you can't just keep being punished. And this was in reference to how hard it is for future job prospects and like reintegrating into society. The stigma of people who have been in prison, it becomes so, so tough to break that cycle. And there's a place where you can go and buy the art from this community of I love that. And it's life-changing. And these artists are just so incredibly talented. Like their stories, the passion behind the pieces they they put into the world. It is just really incredible. You see Robbie when they sell one of his pieces of art and just what that means. So go and have a look at the website. Not sure if they ship outside of Australia. They may. And I'm sure you could reach out and cover those costs. But it is beautiful art and 100% of the proceeds go to the artists and some of these people will have this waiting for them when they come out of prison some are out and this is how they're staying employed and heartwarming documentary mm-hmm. yeah it sounds like it's eye opening from yes. i feel like as you were talking i was like there's so much benefit to listening to the stories of indigenous communities especially as well as minority groups that we just haven't been exposed to the stories in enough of the ways that we should have and then on the second part of it incarceration and our systems it's crazy that it's unfortunately so similar across i'm sure many countries outside of even just the us and australia but reintroducing people that have gotten out of prison back into society and reintegrating them into society is a huge problem there's so much stigma around it and so i love that you're bringing this one up and the artist therapy piece there are just so many good pieces yes this content it sounds like it's so please please go and watch it and share it with people around you and the website that you can find the art is called thetorch.org.au we will link that I'm going to quickly buy the piece I have my eye on, so no one else does. <laughs> don't have a home, don't know where we're going to get it sent, but <laughs> it needs to be mine. And I think it's just, you know, instead of buying canvases from Ikea or wherever, there are affordable options here as well, and it will really make a difference in someone's life, which I feel like the more we can find responsible consumerism, because that can be a really tough thing to figure out, the more I know I want to be pointed toward it. And well, the final one, you sent me this, actually. It's a podcast, Wind of Change. What made you send it my way, Cal? What made me send it your way? This podcast has to do with the CIA, and I knew that that alone would be interesting to you. It's kind of, I would say, a mash of our two interests in that I love music and you love secrets. (laughs) (laughs) It was made, I believe, in 2020. So it's actually a bit of a throwback. It's really about this band, The Scorpions, and a song they wrote called Wind of Change that became very, very famous in Russia. A journalist from the New York Times, I believe, goes to try to figure out if the CIA actually wrote and had to do with the song, The Wind of Change. Yes. Love it. And it unpicks propaganda and 
how the most effective propaganda is one you wouldn't suspect and how the CIA and other spy organizations have used pop culture to influence society. And so the reason that the wind of change is such a poignant example of this, though unproven potentially, is that this was a song written at the end of the Cold War in order to get Western thinking into the Soviet Union, you know, behind the red curtain. And so it's super interesting. It's really because writer Patrick Radden Keith hears a rumor from a source. The Scorpions didn't actually write The Wind of Change. The CIA did. So it's an eight-part series where he tries to run down and verify, is this true? We won't say more than that because you can go on the journey with him as I did. It's just really interesting. And again, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, is the world as it appears? I guess we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So if you're interested in learning a lot of random information about CIA agents, I feel like it's good for that too. Like I keep on being like, yeah, Wait, what? He speaks to ex-CIA agents. Yeah. And like some people who work for the CIA can never reveal that they work for the CIA. Could you even imagine? No, that is crazy. So there are CIA agents that fake work for major companies. So like, yeah. you know, any major, think of major Fortune 500 companies, they have the title of working at that company, but they don't actually work for them. They work for the CIA and they have to get permission when they quit from the CIA to say that they worked for the CIA for real and not the company that they're tied to. And if they don't get permission, they just have a fake resume. Yeah, it's called rollback, where they get permission to say what they were doing. Yeah. And some of them won't. So then they just have this fully fake CV. It's wild. Definitely give it a listen. I just laugh because you said I love secrets. I had saved a different <laughs> meme to share with you about myself, which was my dream date. Olive Garden, but the table next to us is having the family fallout of their lives where 35 plus years of disagreements and arguments are being fought up. <laughs> you know, I love the tea that isn't about me or the people I love. It's just like arm's length stuff. So that is amazing. It, that is so you. I love that so much. The whole dinner would be in silence. This all ties together in my mind because, like, I am still waiting for my invitation to become a spy. Good. You could be one right now. It's a double fake out. Or is it? Ooh, is much to discuss written by us? Or is it written by the CIA? I think it's clearly us, unfortunately. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> these dum-dums, like, no, they're like, this is not us. We're going to be really clear. Usually they said, like, we cannot confirm or deny. For us, they're like, we can unequivocally say we have no involvement whatsoever. <laughs> Oh dear. Uh, and on that note, this is the end of episode, eight? what episode are we on? Eight. Wait, is it? I have to check. We, yeah, this is clearly not a CIA outfit over here. <laughs> That's what they want you to think. Yep, this is episode eight. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please continue to show us your love if you do have love for us in ways of providing feedback, giving us five stars no more no less keep showing up hopefully you're enjoying it i mean we have fun so i guess that's what really counts it's been fun as always girl same. i love and miss you same until, until next time until next week do you want to sound happier to say goodbye to our friends bye everyone i will miss you guys so much <laughs> until next week i just get well, really sad when i have to hang up from stuff so I'm so sorry about the low mood at the end <laughs> yeah my my apologies for the tone shift at the end <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone.